way outside a city wall where the dear Lord was crucified. He died to save us all. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gates of heaven and let us in. Since 1972, when Bill Gaither came out with his classic, Because He Lives, I have signed my personal letters with those three words. That is the citadel of our Christian faith. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, If Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. If Christ be not raised, you are yet in your sins. If Christ be not raised, your preaching is in vain. For me personally, that means some 6,000 sermons that are empty and useless. Nothing but the hawkings of a circus sideshow act if Jesus Christ is still in the grave. I want to begin my sermon tonight with both an apology and a warning. I apologize because I will be using a four-letter word in this sermon. I've tried to find better words, more expressive words, but I keep coming back to this word. So I apologize, and I warn you, you might want to just reach over and cover the ears of small children. Let me just spell it for you. The word is this, G-O-N-E, gone. I apologize for having to use that four-letter word, but you understand now why I can think of no better word to use. They went looking for Jesus that Easter morning, and he was, say it with me, gone. You know, until Easter, gone was usually always a bad word. I mean, even today, when you think of something being gone, it's usually a loss, not a gain. I mean, you know, you pour your cereal in the morning, you stagger over to the refrigerator, you open the refrigerator door, you look in to reach for the milk, and it is gone. You, you, you rush out to the car to get ready for, to, to leave for work, and you're already running late, and you look on your back tire, and the air in that tire is gone gone. It's just that way, isn't it? Gone is almost always a negative word. You know, everything associated with growing older is something's gone. You know, I, I've discovered that recently a whole lot. You know, your memory's gone, your hearing's gone, your eyesight's gone. I got me some trial hearing aids a few weeks ago. I wore those things for three weeks. And they told me, now everything will come through your hearing aid. Your phone will come through your hearing aid. And I'm sitting in the middle of a funeral and this, and this phone starts going off. 
And I turned to my wife and I said, honey, somebody needs to turn that silly phone off. When I realized it's my phone. And it's coming through my iPhone and nobody else but me is hearing it. Well, something's gone, you know. But I'm glad Jesus Christ turned gone into a good word. He's not here, the angel said. He's gone. He's gone. He's not here. He is risen. And John chapter 20 is a great chapter to reflect on the fact that Jesus is gone. So I want us to read together. We're going to read all 18 verses of John chapter 20. I want to ask you if you would to stand with me. And let me just read this chapter. And you can follow along with me or just listen to me. Whatever, however fits you best. But now on the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple, that is the Apostle John according to most scholars, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there. But he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. Typically, Simon Peter, and he, he would go in where angels fear to tread. And, uh, and, so the, and, and then in, in verse 8, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. Now that's important. Notice that. He saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in an Arabic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said, these things to her. Would you be seated? 
in these 18 verses, three people make their pilgrimage to resurrection faith. John, the apostle, Peter, the apostle, and Mary Magdalene. And the interesting thing about all three is that while they come to the same Savior, they all bring their own separate history. They all bring their own baggage. And the journey to faith for them was not the same. <coughs> Please excuse me. I'm dealing with sinus, so that's one thing you can pray for me about as I try to speak. <coughs> Each of those, John, Peter, and Mary, experienced the risen Lord in different ways. Now please hear me. I'm not saying they were saved three different ways. They were all saved the same way, by coming to Jesus Christ as their only hope for forgiveness and a Messiah. But what those three brought to that experience reflects the way I have observed many, many come to Christ throughout my ministry. You see, their faith varied like this. John came to Christ with a simple faith. Simon Peter came to Christ with a faith that was more complicated. He came with a faith that wasn't what we would call simple, but it was in some ways a, a, an arduous journey to come to full faith in Christ. And then Mary Magdalene came to Christ with a lot of tears. Her faith was a suffering faith. Her faith was also a difficult faith, but difficult for a different reason. So I just want us to kind of unpackage the salvation experience, the, the coming to resurrection faith of these three people and see how they will help us in our own particular journey. Because I am convinced that in this audience today, you have people that have experienced the resurrection in the same three ways that these people have experienced it. Now, first of all, we want to look at the Apostle John. Remember, he's the one that's writing this very chapter that we just read. He's called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Out of modesty, perhaps, or some other reason, he chooses not to include his name in his writings. Now, John was the first to get to the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene came, and when I say get to it, I mean actually go into it. Mary Magdalene had been there before them and had found the tomb with the stone rolled over it and was perplexed in knowing how possibly they could remove that large stone. But when they got there, they discovered the stone was already removed. Mary's assumption right off the bat, which seemed to be the assumption of most all of the apostles, was that his body had been stolen. And so she turns immediately and runs to Peter and John and tells them the story of how the grave has been tampered with and apparently some grave robbers have come to steal his body away. Peter and John immediately jump up and begin to run, pre-dawn hours, running to the cemetery. It says they both ran together 
but John outran Peter. And so when John gets to the, the gate, to the, to the opening of the tomb where the stone has been rolled away, he stops and he looks in and he observes the linen clothes lying there. Now John uses three different words for the phrase he saw. Two, wor- two times he talks about him personally, how he saw this, how he came to the conclusions concerning that. And he uses it one time concerning Peter seeing those, uh, those grave clothes lying in the same position where his body had laid. So Peter comes rushing on in, right past John, and, uh, and they both observe the body missing. Now, it says of John, when he got to the grave, he observed, he looked. If you have your text open there, it says, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. He did not go in. Then Peter came, and he saw the linen clothes lying there. And then it says again, down in verse 8 concerning John, he saw and believed. Now, from that, I get this conclusion. John is the only person that is recorded to us in any of the four Gospels who was converted at the tomb, who immediately perceived and understood more of the nature of the resurrection of Jesus than any of the other disciples. It says he saw and believed. The first time it says that about him, it means he saw it and just, just as one would look and see and observe details. But then it, when it says it the second time concerning John, he saw and believed, he uses the Greek word there, which means to see with perception. It means that John began to observe those linen cloths lying in the same place where the body had been. And John deduced this. He said, what grave robbers takes the time to unwrap the body and to leave them in a precise way in which they would have been arranged had Jesus still been in the grave? And as he began to deduct that, his faith began to grow. And it was like God lit a candle in John's soul. And it says he saw and he believed. And I believe John goes on record as being the first one to embrace a resurrection faith based upon the evidence that he saw there in that open tomb. His was a simple faith. John was a quiet kind of man. Now, not Peter. You know, Peter's uh, motto was open mouth, insert foot. But John was always the kind of person that was quiet. He wasn't a man of a lot of words, but he thought deeply about things. And this is a good example of the fact that he did. And so uh, we, we see the Apostle John being such a compassionate man because it was to John that Jesus said from the cross, Son, behold your mother. Uh, Jesus had such confidence and love. He saw and believed. Such a simple faith. Such a a simple faith. Uh, Just to perceive with intelligent comprehension. I I, I know that there's some folks in this building like that. We've baptized a number of them in the last few weeks. You know what I think are the greatest testimonies that come out of the point? I love the testimonies of the man who's 85 years old, who's never given his heart to Christ, and he does, and and he lives for the Lord the last five years of his life. That's wonderful. But let me tell you, testimony is better than that. It's when that seven or eight-year-old child gives their life for Jesus, and they live for Jesus 80 years. Simple faith. You see, one writer has said, 
John crossed over faith stream at its narrowest point. He didn't have to have a lot of evidence. He didn't have to have Jesus walking through doors like, like Thomas did. He didn't have to have Jesus doing magnanimous miracles for him to believe. He saw and he believed. I believe the greatest testimony that you can ever have is when you understand fully the gospel the first time and you said, why, yes, I believe that. Why, yes, I accept the love of God. What a great testimony. Such a simple but great, great testimony. Thank God for those of you in this building tonight that you had a simple faith. Don't ever let the devil... Uh, rob you of the joy of that testimony you 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 are reluctant sometimes to give your testimony you say oh i don't have much of a testimony i got saved when i was just a kid or and and, you know i'd never uh you know i'd never killed anybody and i i'd never robbed a, a store but listen dear friend don't you ever back up you have the greatest testimony in the world some of you here are like ruth graham you know ruth graham could could never say I know that I was saved on this particular day. She said, I can't remember when I crossed over face line. But she said, I know I did. I passed from death unto life. Listen, dear friend, your testimony is a great testimony when you come to Christ just in that simple sort of way. A simple, simple faith. Next, we see old Simon Peter. His wasn't a simple faith. His was a struggling faith. He struggled all the way to Jesus. If you notice the text, it doesn't say anything about Peter seeing and believing. It says Peter saw, and then they turned and went home. And I can just reflect, I just, in my own sanctified imagination, I can see Peter going to scratching his head. <laughs> what happened? Where is that body? You see, Peter expected to go and see the stone still over the door. He wasn't expecting to have a resurrection hallelujah day. He was expecting to have a continuation of the grief of their dead friend, Jesus Christ. So Peter saw the same thing John did, and he came to different conclusions. I probably, (laughs) I'm being kind, but I'm probably talking to some stubborn, hard-headed folks today. Do I have a wife say amen? I'm talking about you're of the Missouri kind. Show me. Show me, right? Faith doesn't come easy for you. Besides that, Peter was a man's man. You know, unlike John, he knew how to cuss up a blue streak. He could turn the air blue from cursing. Why, he had done it just a few hours ago when he had to curse his way and convince the crowd that he didn't know who Jesus was. He cursed three times. He was a man's man. He he wasn't for this religious stuff. That's for old people and weak people. Peter was the kind of man, he didn't need that. He was a fisherman. He was strong. Like some of you men here tonight truth be told you wouldn't be here tonight if you hadn't been talked into coming by your wife or your children it's easter daddy why don't you come go to church with us i'm not being ugly you just know i'm being truthful 
you say, I don't, I don't need that church stuff. And, and deep down in your heart, you'd much rather be on the golf course or at the lake. Hey, I understand that. Peter understood that. He struggled with his faith business. He struggled with it. And, you know, it took a lot to convince him. Remember when Jesus rose from the dead? Remember what, what Jesus told the ladies that saw him there at the empty tomb? He said, go tell the disciples that I'm alive. And then he added this caveat, and be sure you tell Simon Peter. You remember that? You make sure you go to Simon Peter. Because old Simon Peter, you know, he's like some of us men. You know, every once in a while we will get honest with ourselves. And every once in a while we'll say, well, I don't really believe that Jesus stuff. But if it is true, buddy, he wouldn't have anything to do with me. If he just knew all that I had done, if he knew all the sin I'd committed, hey, even if this Jesus stuff is true, I wouldn't have a shot with him. Not after what I've done. That's kind of like Peter was. He had cursed and denied he even knew the lord and they said go tell him you know peter had to learn that though our sins be as scarlet they can be white as snow aren't you glad for that though your sins be as scarlet they can be white as snow peter struggled with his faith it didn't come simple to him like it did john some of you are you know you're really wrestling with this I had a friend in Winter Park like that. Jim was a great guy. He was an Air Force fighter pilot in the Korean conflict. Brilliant man. His wife was a godly, godly leader of our women. Jim came to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But he was an unbelieving skeptic. I played golf with him over those seven years. I gave him books to read, uh, every apologetic book I could think of. Uh, I gave him, he read them. But Jim would not believe. And me and his Sunday school teacher, he was our special project. We prayed for him, we witnessed to him, and Jim wouldn't believe. And we finally came to the point where we realized that there's a limit to what you can do for that skeptical unbeliever. You can only go so far, and then you have to back away and let the Spirit of God do it. Long story short, Jim's wife died. He moved to a care facility in Tampa, a couple hundred miles from us. And probably three months before he died, he called his Sunday school teacher and said, I want you to know that I've been saved. Thank God that his struggles were over. Amen? And you may be struggling. You may not understand it all, but friend, hey, I want you to know this. You don't have to understand. I'm not going to, I don't understand electricity, but I'm not going to sit in the dark until I do. You may not understand all the nuances of the gospel. You may not, well, how, how did the death of a man 2,000 years, how can he say, I don't understand the full nature of that too, but I've proven it in my own life by repenting of my sins and coming to Christ. And he's proven himself to me. It's a struggling faith, but Peter's faith was real. If you're struggling tonight, this could be the night. You could stop struggling and start trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ.
Well, let me just come to the last one, and that's Mary. Mary Magdalene. I try to picture Mary Magdalene. I, I don't, we don't know a whole lot about her, but we do know this. She was a demon-possessed woman. I've seen a little demon possession, most of it in India. It's not pretty. I've seen women in the dust crawling like a snake. It's ugly. It leaves the scars on their faces. Mary Magdalene was that kind of woman. And Jesus had commanded those demons to leave her and she was so in love with the man who had healed her of this demon possession and here's Mary Magdalene one of the last ones near the cross when Jesus died most of all the other disciples were gone out on the fringe area afraid to identify with him, but not Mary. He loved me so much, I, the least I can do is be here to look up and, and love, let him know I love him. And here she is. She's come to the tomb, not because she wants to celebrate his resurrection. She doesn't have a clue that he's going to rise from the dead. She's there with a broken heart because she's going to anoint his body there she comes to the tomb and when she looks in here are two angels they engage her in conversation and and, and say who who are you looking for why are you weeping he's not here and then when she turns she in the garden she meets someone and he asks her why are you weeping and thinking that he is the gardener, she says, Sir, if you'll just show me where you've put him, I I I'll take care of him. I I'll take care of his body and prepare it. And Jesus said, Mary. You know, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. Mary. And as soon as he called her name, she recognized. Through tears, through suffering, she came to Christ. Not a simple faith, not a struggling faith, but a suffering faith. Her route to resurrection faith was painful. It had in its wake a lot of grief, a lot of sorrow, a lot of bad choices, a lot of hurt. But she didn't let it stop her from coming to the Savior. Maybe your faith tonight is not simple. Maybe it's not even struggling. You hurt too bad to struggle. You just kind of said, what's the use? but you're suffering. My friend, I want to share with you that like Mary found Christ in the midst of her suffering, you can come to Christ 
in the midst of whatever your circumstances are, you can come to Christ. Though you're suffering, though you're hurting, though you're in pain. You know what the psalmist said? He said, it's a good thing for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Maybe your suffering is the catalyst God is going to use to drive you to the Savior. What did Jesus say? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Where do you fit into that scenario? Is your fate simple? <laughs> is your fate struggling? Or is your fate suffering? I'm glad God compacted in one chapter these three conversions so that it could be there to help us to see that wherever we are in that life situation, God has blessed some of you with a simple faith. It's just so easy for you. Believing is just so easy. You say, why, sure I believe that. Maybe you're here tonight. And maybe this Easter season, you've come to recognize your need for Christ. Would you simply cross faith stream at its narrowest point and come to Christ tonight? Or maybe you're struggling. You've got more questions than you've got answers, like Peter. My dear friend, don't wait until death comes to answer the main question, and that is, will I surrender my heart and life to Jesus? You see, if you'll do that, he'll either answer your questions or he'll give you such peace that the questions won't be relevant anymore. Bring your struggling faith to Jesus. And then some of you are hurting tonight. And Easter seems to exacerbate that hurt. Maybe that's a relationship that's gone sour. Maybe it's a child who's forsaken your values. And not having them at home at Easter time just makes that more hurtful. Maybe you're struggling. I want to encourage you tonight to bring that struggling faith to the feet of Jesus. I had the joy the last seven years of my pastoring to be a teaching pastor at First Baptist Church in Collierville, Tennessee. During that period of time, I served on the pastoral staff with John Bramlett. I don't know if, if most of you have or have not heard of John Bramlett. How many of you have heard of him? I see my audience. Oh, most of you. John was all pro NFL football player, All-American at Memphis. He's a great football player, a legend in Memphis, but was at one time as mean as a snake. He had the reputation, even though John was probably not but six, one or two, and he wasn't very big, but he had a reputation of being the meanest man in the NFL. All pro, he was mean. With a capital M, he was mean. John was an alcoholic to go with that. John had an incredible, dynamic conversion experience. 
I mean, God changed him from the inside out, and he did it overnight. One of the most amazing conversions I've ever known up close and personal. It, it changed him 180 degrees. It changed everything about him, including his parenting styles. Now, I also had the privilege to pastor his son. So I've, I've heard this story firsthand from both John and his son. After John was saved, it changed him. And he was always disciplining his boys, and they always dreaded it because it was tough. John was a tough man, and he disciplined tough. And so one day they had been left at home and told something to do, and they didn't do it. And on top of that, they did something they weren't supposed to do. So when John came in, he told them both. He said, well, boys, you know what that means. You've got to be disciplined. Go upstairs. I'll be right up with my belt in my hand. Sure enough, they went up waiting for the worst. They heard the steps coming up the stairs. There comes Daddy. John walked in, and he said to them something he had never said before. He said, boys, you did wrong, and you know you did wrong. You need to be disciplined for what you did. But he said, this time we're going to do it differently. He said, instead of me taking this belt and whipping you, you're going to take the belt and whip me. And John gave his sons the belt, and he bent over, and he said, you're to whip me. And knowing those two boys, one of them said, oh boy, I'm going to get him. But the other son that I know real well, he said, it broke his heart. It broke his heart. To whip his own daddy. Stripes. Isaiah put it this way. By his stripes. We are healed. You missed the point of last night. If you didn't understand that every time Jesus was hit, it was the stripes that Tommy Vinson deserved and that you deserved. Because of what he did, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Yes, there is a green hill far away outside a city wall. Where the dear Lord was crucified, who died to save us all. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to worship, we're going to sing. It's an opportunity for you to respond to what the Holy Spirit may have been saying to you last night, tonight. Maybe this Easter season is a, a time of climax in your life. That God is, is, is doing a work in your heart. A little boy came up to Travis last night after the service and wanted to give his heart to Christ. A counselor counseled with him last night. Maybe there's somebody else here tonight. And this Easter can be the time when you move from spiritual darkness to spiritual light. I want to pray and then we're going to stand and we're going to sing. Travis is going to lead us. 
you're, you're invited to do whatever the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. Whether it's to come and pray, we have counselors. If you're, if you're considering being a member here at the point, we would love to have you come to, tonight and just say, we want to be a part of what God is doing and will do here at the point. You may be here tonight and you've never publicly professed your faith in Christ. It doesn't matter if you have a simple faith, a struggling faith, or a sorrowful faith. The main thing is you have faith. And it's by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast.